Today's show could not be more loaded. It is loaded. We have so many different topics to discuss. We've got critical acclaim, comic book awards, and and what's going on in that space. Some of these names that should be in the comic book, the equivalent of the comic book hall of fame. Why aren't they there already? I, I, I bring this up today. I go through some very specific names given that this season is coming up upon us. And I'm, I'm just going to speak my mind and tell you what I think. In the movie space, Top Gun 2, I saw it. Holy shnikes. Holy moly. This movie is phenomenal. I will discuss it spoiler free. You will not come out any wiser as to where the movie's going to take you because no one spoiled it for me. I won't be spoiling it for you, but we're going to talk about Top Gun 2. We're going to talk about um, Mission Impossible, the, the new Mission Impossible. They showed us an extended trailer, blew my mind. And finally, we wrap it up today by discussing, do you know when, do you know exactly when San Diego Comic-Con, Comic-Con International blew up before Hall H? When did it become, when did Hollywood arrive with its giant mothership and take things over? I know exactly the date. I know exactly the year. I know exactly the summer. And I'm going to share it with you on today's Observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Observations. Observations is the place where we cram it all together, all the pop culture, all the sci-fi, all of the comic book stuff, which is coming at you um, 24-7 in a world that I still, I'll say it every episode, cannot believe I live in. Like, what happened? I don't have to hide my comic book love anymore. I can wear it on a shirt and no one will like make fun of me like they did in 1984. Incredible. I love it. More of this. More of this all the time. So, uh, comic books, movies, films, they're going to be coming at us rapid fire uh, this summer as, as we approach the summer season. I literally just got back from the mega giant CinemaCon. CinemaCon is, is like Comic-Con for, for theater owners. Like re, 500 Regal managers were there. They got a shout out. Um, and I'm going to talk about more of that. But, you know, you got AMC. You got all of the different... Um, a couple guys who have theaters in Tennessee, they were super nice. They came up to me. They took their pictures with me. They they were like comic book fans. So it's like you, you just don't know what you're going to run into. But CinemaCon was packed to the brim with over 3,000 people in a very communal setting as we all um, watched the Paramount Pictures presentation today, which featured an entire screening beginning to, to, you know, to end of Top Gun 2, which I'm going to get to later in the podcast, which we're also going to talk about that amazing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. That's the title of the, I think, is it the seventh film? Eighth film? I don't know. But there's part one, part two. They showed it to us today. They gave us a trailer that absolutely blew my mind. And again, that stuff is, that is part and parcel of action, adventure, pop culture. We'll dig deeper into that. And and again, we're about to enter into an, uh, a summer kickoff with, with Doctor Strange, multiverse of madness. And we are all, we're all hoping that that pops big time, and and as I, and and as I've been like you know get finding my own way back to the theaters because I don't know if you guys have gone back to theaters, but I was really uh, uh, resistant to it for the longest time. I didn't really want to go back. I saw Spider Man No Way Home, but I hadn't seen anything really before that. And then and that was at the premiere, and then I went and saw it with my family again right around Christmas. But then I, I stayed out of theaters for the most part the last several months. But in the last couple of weeks, I've been back. I've seen uh, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I saw The Northman. I, I had the best experience. These are really super 
fun experiences. And I was like, wow, it's fun to be back in theaters. And we want we want theaters to to be fun. And today when I watched Top Gun 2 with 3,000 people in just a kick-ass theater with great picture, great sound, I mean, it's it's why we love the movies. And, and you know, the different studio heads that made their presentations, and particularly the guy that ran, that runs, that currently runs Paramount Pictures, is like, you know, we always envisioned coming out of the pandemic you know, stronger than ever and, and really wanting to preserve that theater experience. And again, when those big movies click like this one did, like Top Gun 2 did, like everyone's hoping Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness will, it's thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. You know, when uh, during the, the, the first year of our pan- pandemic that, that gripped, you know, the world, gripped the nation, uh, in, in one county in San Diego, they met the colored tier that was laid out before them and they were able to show Tenet. They were able to show Tenet, and, and and so we decided to drive two and a half hours to see it. My wife and I, and I've, I've told this before, my wife, uh, my, my daughter jumped in the car with us because she loves Robert Pattinson and wanted to see it, but we all went and had this killer experience again in this one area in all of Kevin, Southern, Southern and Northern California and Central California combined that was allowed to show theaters because they had met the tier. And, uh, you know, I, I remember just... I mean, I drove two hours and 20 minutes to see a movie and then two hours and 20 minutes home. I mean, that's a lot. That's a big deal. So I love movies. I know you guys love movies and, and hopefully we'll all find our way back, but we got to support these. I really want the theater business to get healthier again. And if, and if I have to pay a, a, another dollar, you know, more for my Slurpee, uh, icy, I, I guess I'll do it. I mean, with, with a big smile because I want the theaters, I want them to continue. I want them to, 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 uh, to thrive. And, and, and so, so it's, 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 uh, as comic books have moved into this domain of big theatrical experiences, you know, again, going and being with a bunch of theater owners and seeing them get psyched about what's coming is pretty, pretty exciting stuff. But we're going to get to the Top Gun 2, the Mission Impossible, um, seven, eight, whatever. It's just, it's called Dead Reckoning, that trailer. We'll get to that later in the show. Today, I wanted to, uh, start out by talking to you guys about San Diego Comic-Con. If you've gone, if you've been part of the hype, if you've, you know, traveled the word of mouth, um, of the last 20, 25 years, you may or may not have heard of something called the Eisner Awards. And they are supposed to be kind of the pinnacle of the critical acclaim and the critical awards uh, that are given out in the comics industry. They are viewed in some circles as, you know, the version of the Oscars, the Academy Awards. I want to be respectful to them because there's no reason not to. There's no reason not to be respectful to these awards, even though you've got to understand, you know, if you followed my career, uh, even just a little, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't seek out critical acclaim. Uh, it, it's not something that ever followed me early on. I could tell you can tell early on, you know, who's accumulating the admiration and respect and whatever, you know, the, you know, doesn't accumulate that, you know, admiration and respect. And by and large, most of us at Image Comics were not respected in a critically acclaimed manner. We were seen as more pop music than anything terribly innovative, no matter how many connections we made with fans okay and uh i i i i value that over critical acclaim i always will now i seek out art films um you know that there's a company called a24 uh I, I see everything that they put out i love small indie films there's a there's a theater near uh uh irvine um university irvine uh and and there is a dedicated theater and we have seen so many small indie films there over the last two decades and they'll get them on the you know uh la will get them you know for for two weeks and then say boogie nights will come down to orange county just in the irvine 
uh, Regal right there, uh, which 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 primarily does art house films or or you know uh, you know there will be blood anything by Paul Thomas Anderson anything really uh, in limited release by Quentin Tarantino um, Robert Eggers who did The Witch and The Lighthouse and now The Northman I mean and there's a bunch of other ones I'm, I'm just not you know remembering at the time but um you know their directorial debut of like Taylor Sheridan with Wind Wind River which which starred you know Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch you know it, it, with Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen that that opened in limited release and that was at that that theater that is the dedicated spot that stuff goes to the last days of disco late 90s um uh, uh th- those kind of just more art housey films so i love that stuff i love acclaimed small indie stuff i just have never really been able to engage myself fully in trying to chase that approach myself in my own work i'm more pop like i said i and and i it's it's not a criticism it's a just an acknowledgement you know i think I, I i just kind of write more uh with a pop sensibility draw more with a pop sensibility so again i have long long ago given up uh you know any sort of critical acclaim of any kind and and that's that's really kind of how how it's how how it's probably going to go you know going forward is that it's it's hard to change that mindset you know and and a guy who was at my studio very talented artist named Carl Allstetter. He works in uh, t- the toy business for the last two decades. He's worked for Mattel. Um, he's worked for uh, all, all the big toy companies as a toy designer. And and that's really kind of where his career uh, branched and took off uh, post really kind of a dedicated comic book life for him. He was very active. He did Bloodstrike for me. He did the deity um, for himself. Carl's super talented guy. I really love, respect him. Love talking comics with him. Love always getting his perspective. He put up on his... Facebook, I want to say maybe two months ago, he put a thing, said, would you rather be critically acclaimed or a bestseller? Like, like, and, and not that they're, they're not, you know, both, but he's, I think he even said, would you rather sell a lot of copies or be critically acclaimed? And for the most part, most people said sell a lot of copies because we want to connect with the largest, you know, audience possible. Now, is there a, you know, a possibility that you can do both? Yes, there is. It's, that is the possibly the hardest, you know, needle to thread. I mean, you know, it, it, that, that is really, really difficult to pull off. Get that, get, get that both of them at the same time. It can be done. Okay. Um, but, but, but the, the bottom line is that, that most guys I think would rather have a, a, a song or a comic book at the top of the charts. And, uh, I was at dinner, you know, uh, in 2006, right around the time of Onslaught Reborn, it was the sequel to Heroes Reborn. And I was at a dinner that had all of the major, um, Marvel players. It, it had uh, uh, the, the guys who are all kind of running the company now. Dan Buckley, David Bogart, uh, Joe Casada, C.B. Sobolski, Jeff Loeb was there. John Romita Jr. was there. I was there. I forget who else was in attendance, but the question came about like number one comics and Joe Casada said, I've never had a number one comic of which I went, wait. And then I did a quick like into my databanks. You know, I, 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 I checked and then he's like, yeah, I've never had a number one comic. And I'm like, wait, that's weird. Like, you know, and then I thought he was going to do, he did that one more day. Uh, thing with JMD Matisse where they brought back I think uh, uh, there were some what what what, what was it that, that Spider Man and, and Mary Jane were never married I'm, I don't know exactly the 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 plot contrivance of that story but it, I think it was called One More Day and uh, you know I thought that was going to hit number one and then it didn't and and it was interesting because I'm like you know you, you do wonder how many different points in your career you can you can hit that and I'm very fortunate me and my peer group again I'm talking about a guy a group of us 
again, I, I, I compare us to the Eagles or Fleetwood Mac or I mean the Doobie Brothers. Like they, that, that, that's that's the amount of hits that we were doing in our era. We're like that of 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 our era. Um, and 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 even when I was in high school, it was like, well, who's number one? Is it Madonna? Is it Prince? Is it Michael Jackson? Is it Bruce Springsteen? I mean, they all were taking shots at having the number one album on any, on any given week or extended period at the top of the charts. And for me and my peer group, this isn't like boasting and this isn't um, doing anything other than reflecting the absolute historical accuracy of the fact that we were always fighting for the top um, rankings you know, on the charts. Uh, I was shocked when Marvel called me in 2017 to tell me that my Deadpool Bad Bad Blood, Deadpool Bad Blood graphic novel, which cost 25 bu- bucks, 25 bucks. They said, hey, you know, congratulations, you were number one for the month. And I was like, what? I, I just, I was, I was staggered and uh, that was great. Like later in my career, able to have another one. And yes, I'm, I'm maybe I'm the reverse of, of Mr. Casada. I'm accumulating those top of the spots. Nowadays in comics, it's very manipulative. It's, it's even more so 29, 30 covers. A new Spider-Man came out. My, my retailer was like, my head is spinning. It's over 25 covers. I know when they relaunched, um, the, the X-Men, there was like 29, 30 covers. I know the, the big Venom event, 29, 30 covers. I mean, there is, um, a ton of covers now on everything. It's not just those, it's the turtles had covers. My snake eyes had plenty of covers and it does it. It accumulates it. You, you suddenly swell, your numbers go up. So I'm not sure the chasing number one stuff with how we've covered. I did a dedicated podcast. I know at the end of last summer between the uh, Keanu Reeves, Reeves berserker stuff and what was, what was going on with the, the spawn launches last summer, there was a ton of like one in 1000, you know, buy, buy 500 and get a special, you know, th- those are very much, um, goosing, goosing the system and manipulating numbers to get to, uh, a high ranking and then even more so, and this is crazy because this is what wasn't going to, this is not what I was going to talk about, but that there's so much meat on this bone. I figured I'd chew on it, but, but, but I'll wrap it up this way is that now, and I've covered it also, we have three different distributors. There's Luna that handles DC. There's diamond that handles, you know, image and boom. And then there's, and, and some Marvel. And then there's uh penguin, which is all Marvel. So now you have three different charts and none of them line up and they all have their own info. You know, Luna has their own sales information that Diamond doesn't have access to because you can't get DC Comics through Diamond. You can get limited Marvel Comics through Diamond, but you get the better deal direct from Penguin. And that's where the majority of the books are being sold is from Penguin. And then Image and Boom and the rest go through Diamond Dedicated. So so now you've got three different, I mean, imagine if the music acts, you know, if there was three different, you know, music charts or three different Nielsen charts for television shows. They, they really... Are, are very accustomed to going by one chart or if the movie business had three different, you know, distribution rankings and, 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 you know, Warner brothers and Disney were in different uh, uh, rankings and, and, and they accumulated their own data and shared it. It's just, it's different now. It's harder, but, but critical acclaim is uh, what is really uh, the, 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 uh, reflection of the Eisner Awards. They are comic books Oscars. And the reason I've told you why I'm not, you know, I just, again, I want, I, I'm giving them respect, but their latest update ballot went out and it gave you six people who are getting them. And then there was a list of 17 names. And then it said, of these 17 names, we will determine four others who will go into the Hall of Fame later this summer. And I learned about it because Larry Hama let everybody know that he was on the list of those 17 names. Larry Hama, who created the modern day G.I. Joe, uh, 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 you know, franchise that we know of, you know, Duke, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, Destro, all of those. That's all a byproduct of the, you know, Larry 
Hama was given a homework assignment uh, between Hasbro and Marvel, and he came back, and I, I think we can all say he aced it. He aced that homework assignment because uh, within, you know, no time, G.I. Joe was completely running the toy uh, 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 business, outselling Marvel, uh, outselling superheroes toys, outselling Star Wars, and the comic books were blowing up, charting at the top, and that is all a reflection of what Larry Hama has contributed. And Larry Hama has, has literally written hundreds of G.I. Joes. These G.I. Joe comic books have driven so many people into the stores who may have not gone to stores back in the 80s, and they may have not um, interacted on a regular basis with comic book material, but they did it uh, so that they would, you know, they, they put those Marvel comics, those those G.I. Joe characters in the comic books in order to drive you, uh, uh, Marvel gr- grabbed the license in order to drive you to the stores that you'd, you know, buy G.I. Joe because you saw the cartoon and you bought the toy and you'd walk out with a Spider-Man or an X-Men under your arm. And that's a pretty great strategy and it worked. And Larry is the visionary behind it. And I'm going, wait, what? He's not in the Hall of Fame? What? I, I don't pay enough attention to this. But then I looked and I perused the list even closer. And I go, Howard Chaikin? Let me tell you something. I don't cover Howard Chaikin enough on this show, but I'm going to do it right now. Howard Chaikin was the guy, I've mentioned him often. He was tapped to do Star Wars. Lucas liked his Star Wars. He requested Howard Howard, um, Ch- Howard Chaikin to, to draw the Star Wars adaptation when no one knew what they had in Star Wars. Lucas was a fan of his um, one-off or his sci- his independent sci-fi work, Cody Starbuck, and some other stuff that Howard done. And Howard was really a, a, a great graphic illustrator, storyteller. And he paired with Roy Thomas. And the two of them, uh, from photographs and, and some, some concept drawings, way before Star Wars was in the theater. This wasn't, you know, they had to draw these before Star Wars dropped. They are on record, and Lucasfilm can confirm. They did not see the movie. They weren't allowed to see the movies. They had pictures of Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan. They had some set photography. You know, they had some props. They, 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 they cobbled together as much as they possibly could to adapt it. And Star Wars went on and saved Marvel Comics. Jim Shooter is on record as saying Marvel was bleeding red ink, but Star Wars, which Stan did not want to do. I've done an entire dedicated, I think it's called Cosmic Marvels is the name. It's one of my second or third podcast I ever did, and it covers this in depth. I, it's super sourced. I, I source the crap out of this. I go with the quotes and the um, the stats and the figures all provided by the people who were there at the time, Roy Thomas and Jim Shooter, chief among them. And they will share with you that Star Wars, that adaptation, because it wasn't just the one, six issues. They broke it up into two, three-issue treasury edition formats, and then one giant treasury edition format. They collected all six of them, and then they shrunk it down into... Um, little, um, you know, trade paperback, uh, little, little, little pocketbook size that was really popular back then. It made so much money for Marvel, millions of dollars for them, saved them from going into the red, put them squarely in the black, and then financed all the stuff that we love. The Frank Miller Daredevil, the X-Men by John Byrne, um, kept, was able to keep all these books afloat until they found themselves. And so Howard Chaikin, Star Wars alone on his resume is a big deal, but then he went and he re- kind of defined what an independent comic book was with his sci-fi kind of uh, neo-futuristic uh, 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 American flag. And and you have to go and, and Google American flag. Dynamite did an entire, a really nice compilation of maybe the first 12, 15 issues. American flag was about a futuristic police force. It was the first time that I had seen panels that were drawn in, you know, TV shapes, and w- is, which is something that I would bite and Todd would bite, but the guy who bit it the most was um, Frank Miller. American Flag is a giant, maybe the biggest influence on what Alan Moore does with Watchmen and what Frank Miller does with Dark Knight graphically 
uh, uh, tonally because it's 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 a uh, it's a little more R-rated. It's a little more mature. It's definitely on the design level and the artistic level and the 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 graphic level. It is super influential to everything that went on in both of those books. Howard is easily uh, seen as someone who is one of the most dynamic, accomplished people in the comic book world. After American Flag, he was, and after the success of Dark Knight, and knowing that well, Howard is one of the biggest influences on this thing, they hired him to reboot a old pulp uh, character named The Shadow. And The Shadow blew up. People bought it. They loved it. And then he did The Blackhawks. And, I mean, Howard was a absolute hit machine. And Howard went on to work in television and balance between television and comic books. I'm not going to go through an extended Howard Chaikin bio, but the fact is he's on the list with Larry Hama as not being in the Hall of Fame yet. And I'm like, wait a second. Okay, he probably had a five to six year career prior to doing Star Wars, which is in 1977. So Howard's been around like 1972. Well, 72 to 82 to 92 to 2002, there's 30 years. Well, let's keep going. To 2012, there's 40 years. That's 50 years in the business, and this guy is not in the Hall of Fame. What the hell is going on? That just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Same with Larry Hama. You continue down the list. Jim Shooter, who you know I've done dedicated podcasts to, the single best, most visionary editor-in-chief in the history of comic books, not just Marvel comic books, in the history of comic books, redefined the miniseries, the intercompany crossover uh, to giant transformational uh, sales, uh, 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 I mean, t- taking kind of a janky toy line like the the Secret Wars Mattel toys and making it into the best-selling like crossover like uh, for, for decades on end, um, letting the reins off of talents like Frank Miller and John Byrne and Walt Simonson and watching them do seminal works, giving us Electra, Beta Ray Bill, uh, the 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 you know Days of Future Past. I mean, Jim Shooter, D- Death of Phoenix. I mean, Dark Phoenix Saga, this is all just, these are just kind of blips that, that were under uh, Jim's purview. He opened up the royalty system and the creative sharing system, the character sharing agreement, so guys like me could feel free about filling up Marvel with my ideas like Cable and Deadpool and Domino and Shatterstar. I mean, that's because of Jim Shooter. This guy's not in the Hall of Fame. He's on the list, okay? And and and, you, and so you go down the list and it's, you, you. my kids would say, that's sus, which I guess means that's suspect, okay? So I'm just going... Like, if why are we waiting 50 years to put some of these guys in the Hall of Fame? And if that keeps me... Look, I don't ever plan on... I, there's not a time that I imagine that anyone will give me any award. So I say this in the same way that Josh Brolin raised his voice when his um, uh, uh, villain, uh, his director of Dune, Denny Villeneuve, Villeneuve uh, was not nominated. Dune was nominated for the most, like, 10, 11 Academy Awards. Art direction, cinematography... Um, you know, all manner of awards, but but the director wasn't. So the guy that assembled everybody and created the visuals and hired all the people, the costuming, the special effects, the cinematography, all those guys get nominated, but not him. And Josh Brolin decided he would, you know, as one of the stars of Dune and also a star of Sicario, uh, you know, worked with Denny a long time, raised his voice and said, this is, this is not right. This is insane. It is utterly insane that the visionary behind Dune, which is another huge movie for theater goers, released in, in, in the vision and the detail and the impact of Dune was so great that when it was also launched the same weekend on HBO Max, that you could watch it from your house, it went on to make $100 million in the theater in its theatrical run, competing as it did that it was on television at the same time. Really hard to do. 
imagine if you could have watched Spider-Man No Way Home at your house before Christmas, you know, instead of having to go. Half of that money is staying at home and watching it on television. So imagine that half the money for Dune stayed home. It still made $100 million. It's a seminal, artistic, visionary masterpiece. I cannot wait for the sequel and a very difficult story to tell. Huge cast that only Denis could uh, could combine. And he's not nominated for an Academy Award as Best Director. Uh, insane. I, I feel like this falls into the same category. So today, uh, I'm just I'm just lighting my torch. I'm pouring one out for the amazing talents that have come before me that absolutely deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And we shouldn't be waiting this long to... to Howard Chaykin should not be in his 70s waiting to see if his accomplishments are going to get the same acclaim as guys who, quite frankly, I don't think should be there before him. That's my opinion. That is my opinion. Again, I respect the Eisners, although I don't believe I will ever get an Eisner, so it doesn't really matter to me. I can say that out loud. It's fine. Um, I just feel like some of these guys who really were critically acclaimed, Howard Chaykin has been critically acclaimed uh, all throughout his career, should be in the Hall of Fame. So there's, there's my 10 cents. On, on something I think as confounding as as critical acclaim. And again, why do you think so many people just want to lean into the numbers and sell? Because there's no argument. You either did or you did not. Um, do or do not, right, Yoda? So, I mean, the thing is, you know, I I really root for my, you know, my peer group. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there are so many people who I would, you know, put in the Hall of Fame right now in comic books because they deserve it. And when I see a Jim Shooter and when I see a Larry Hama and when I see a Howard Chagan, I just don't get it. It's it's baffling to me. So that is my Rob Rob's rants for today. And hopefully, you know, just sharing kind of what I see as maybe something that is a little inconsistent and could be improved on. And if I take a blow as a result, whatever, you know, what else is new? I'm, I've been fighting uh, as a young cartoonist breaking in when I was 18 years, years old for 35 years. And I have, you know, always just had to put my nose to the grindstone. And I have um, comfortably been able to speak out and and do so, uh, you know, trying, not, trying to be respectful as I was I hopefully just then, but also kind of vehemently backing what I like. In speaking in, in regards to backing what I like, let me tell you something. 1986, let me take you back to 1986. People forget how long Top Gun ran. Tom Cruise was not yet a movie star, but Top Gun really put him on the map as a contender. People in the business will say it wasn't until Cocktail when he followed up Top Gun, and you're like, oh, this is a guy mixing drinks, and it's number one. Like, wow, but... The cork came out of the bottle with Top Gun. That's what, wow, Tom Cruise, he holds the screen like nobody else. He's so charismatic. He's so ridiculously um, attractive from every single angle. And let's be honest, that's what makes movie stars movie stars. Women, men, they, we, we love to see them on screen. And we love to um, kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's a form of idol worship. Why are we hiding it? It is. Um, at, least, at least American Idol, they, they say, American Idol, you're, you're trying to become a pop idol. Idol worship. It's, it's what the movie and the entertainment business is really all about when it, when it boils down to it. But I think one of the greatest movie stars of my lifetime has gone on to be Tom Cruise. And that awareness, you can say, well, I saw it in, in, in you know, in, in Taps and, and, and it was there in his 10 minutes in Outsiders. But look, let's be honest, Top Gun. I mean, all, there's all the right moves. Um, there's risky business. Sure, they put him on the map, but Top Gun just held our attention and was was. The number one movie for the year that it came out, 1986, it was, you know, absolutely unmatched in terms of popularity. But in summer 1986, I'm on a houseboat trip with all my college-age friends. I'm not going to college. I'm still right, just breaking into the business. And the uh, the the aspect 
that, that I'm really blown away by is the fact that like we all wanted to see Cobra that weekend with Sylvester Stallone. We want to see Cobra, but the girls on the houseboat trip, you know, we're all 18 year old. We're all like college age. They want to see, they want to see Top Gun. So we go, okay, we'll go see Top Gun. We'll go see Top Gun. So we all went into the theater and saw Top Gun, a movie that I really wasn't excited about seeing. And I was 100,000% blown away by just amazingly blown away by Top Gun, as was the rest of the world. We got back from the Lake Havasu, the, the lake trip, and almost every other night, we were just going to see Top Gun as a group. And, and that was kind of how the culture was treating it. We loved seeing that movie. We went again and again and again and again and again, up till again, along with the entire culture, it had become the number one movie of its time. It's kind of like the Star Wars of the 80s. I mean, it just kept playing nonstop, kept playing forever and ever and ever. And it charted and again, uh, made an enormous amount of money for Paramount and put Tom Cruise completely 100% on the map. Funny thing about Top Gun is I didn't really see anybody wanting a sequel, not in the immediate space when it was released. Nobody was like, oh man, the further adventures of Maverick and, you know, an Iceman. It was a great standalone adventure. They went on a mission. You saw the movie. There's all the different, you know, pratfalls and, and learning and, 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 and the competition. Uh, the soundtrack obviously was a huge deal, but the movie just works. It's a great, really fun movie. It's got its military bend, whatever. But uh, bottom line, huge movie, really no desire to see a sequel for all these many years. And then there was, I think, you know, you get to, you go, wow, was it 20 years? Was it, you know, in, in, in uh, you know, 1996, 10 years, 2006, 20 years. And then you go, I wonder if they'll ever revisit that. I mean, everybody's revisiting every franchise and, and, and for whatever reason, Top Gun didn't, you know, didn't really come up. And I think Tom was resistant for a long, longest time. And, and, and you can't blame him because it's such an important movie in his resume. And, uh, it's such an important, uh, you know, accomplishment and, and such a singular success. And, 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 and so, you know, I don't think anybody was really, you know, clamoring for a sequel. And then there were murmurings that they were looking into doing it. And, you know, then they developed and you, you heard some announcements and you heard some rumblings. And then I'll just fast forward to the fact that, uh, they were shooting the sequel to Top Gun with some really talented guys, you know, Joseph Kaczynski, who did Tron, Oblivion, um, you know, uh, 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 Only the Brave, this amazing firefighter movie with, with, uh, a lot of the cast that's in Top Gun too. You got Jennifer Connelly, you got, um, Miles Teller, you got Josh Brolin and, and Joseph Kaczynski is signed on to do you know, Top Gun 2. Well, that's great. He's already, in my opinion, made a fantastic movie in regards to Oblivion with Tom. And now he is signed on to do Tom Cru uh, uh, Top Gun 2, or they call it Top Gun Maverick. And Christopher McQuarrie, who's really great with, with Tom and, and uh, has done, has really done, you know, these amazing Mission Impossible movies alongside of him, did their Jack Reacher, the very first Jack Reacher that he wrote and directed, which everyone really, you know, thought of in, in, in highly, you know, before Jack Reacher 2, I think, kind of took it all apart. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie did not direct that one. But because of the success of Jack Reacher, he got the Mission Impossible franchise. And he did five, and he did six. And now he's doing all of the Mission Impossibles. But he came on board as a producer. Uh, I think he he helped write this movie. So Tom Cruise, you know, it's it's we don't know it's, you know, basically seven, eight months before a pandemic. But it was uh, Tom Cruise is rumored to be at Comic-Con. 
He's rumored to be at Comic-Con. Tom Cruise shows up at Comic-Con and um, he is uh, going to, to, to you know, the, the rumor is he's going to announce, he's going to announce that he's making Top Gun. Top Gun 2. And so, I remember, I didn't go into Hall H that morning, I didn't go into the Paramount presentation, but there it was, boom, on the live feed, Tom Cruise comes on the stage, he's never been in, 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 in a, at Hall H before, he's never been at Comic-Con, and he announces Top Gun, everyone freaks out, there's no footage, it's just, this is, we're filming it, I came to tell you we're filming it in San Diego, which is, you know, plays a huge role in both Top Gun movies, and then, you know, it, it wraps before the pandemic because Tom then moves on to Mission Impossible, you know, those those sequels. But then we get hit by COVID and the pandemic and we get shut down and, and Top Gun gets moved again and again and again and again. And then this week they announced at CinemaCon, which is for, you know, cinema theater owners to come and see what Fox has, well, what Fox has as part of Disney, what Disney has, what Warner's has, Lionsgate, Sony, Universal, Paramount. Paramount says, we're going to drop the mic. We're going to actually show you six weeks in advance, Top Gun 2. We're going to show this movie to you. You guys, I was a little nervous, but I was like, you wouldn't be doing this if this didn't work on all cylinders. And, and there's so much talent in this. You know, I, I'm, my, I I call up the trailers and watch the trailers on YouTube all the time. I think there's two or three trailers and they've been cut together and spliced and I watch them and my one, you know, 19-year-old son just thinks it's hilarious how into Top Gun I am. But it's just, it's more than nostalgia. It's, it's that world has not been revisited satisfactory in, in a satisfactory way since we had tons of superhero movies, right? But that was like a great movie about the aviation world, the military aviation world. And, and we all really enjoyed those characters. And now they went back with some really top talent. And like I said, there's John Hamm, there's Tom Cruise, there's Miles Teller, there's Jennifer Connelly. So I decide I'm going to hop the flight. Uh, I, I had some great connections. I was able to get in, get a, an amazing reserve seat and sit there and the lights went down and they said, you know, we didn't bring a lot to show you today, but we figured we'd show you the entirety of Top Gun 2. So I am fresh from seeing the sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time and certainly Tom Cruise's most important movie of his entire career. And I will not spoil it. And I, you should not let anyone spoil it. But this movie works on a level it has no business working on. It clicks. The pacing. Pacing is so important to me and my love of films. It clicks. It is paced. It moves. This thing moves. It is just beat after beat after beat. Um, you are watching Maverick. You obviously from the trailer know that he is um, summoned back to Top Gun, uh, you know, flight school and he is tasked with um, a mission, which I'm not going to reveal, but he has to uh, train this new team of pilots. Of course, there's going to be cuts. In the meantime, he rekindles old flames. We revisit old friends. But really, the mission that they're prepping for, uh, it's very simple. This mission, it's a giant, giant mission, and it's a really dangerous mission that's made from the outset. They, I love when movies just lay down the rules. This is what's going on. This is how difficult it is. The entire movie, they are trying to master the difficulty of, of, of succeeding in what's going to be a very, you know, high pressure, very difficult uh, mission. And, you know, Tom takes this very seriously. There's a great emotional component to all of this. Obviously, from the trailers, you also know that, you know, Goose has a son, uh, which is Miles Teller, and there's some tension. Now, remember, they made this <laughs> in 2019, so almost three, they were shooting it well over three years ago. So you just gotta, but it's great. You can do the math. They actually show the scene from the original when Goose and Tom Cruise are playing the piano and seeing Great Balls of Fire, and you see little two-year-old 
um, you know, the character Miles Teller is playing is playing Rooster, uh, is his call sign, and then you 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 can make the math work. He's thirty two. He's thirty three. That works, and uh, and ultimately, it uh, it really just it's got a great emotional component to it. I I just Tom Cruise is fantastic. One of his most nuanced performances. He is not Ethan Hunt in this movie. He is you know Pete Maverick Mitchell. He is uncertain. He has still got that confidence about him. He is navigating his later in life ways in a way that um, only he can. Um, relationships, duty, loyalty, kind of haunted by the past. Uh, I did read in, in in since I got home. Joseph Kaczynski speaks of it. Yes, absolutely. Val Kilmer is in Top Gun Two. It is a beautiful inclusion. It is more than a cameo. It is going to blow you away. It is so beautifully done. I, I I think you're just going to dig it. You're just going to absolutely dig it. But when we get to the third act, this is like old school third acts. This is like third acts that, um, you know, the third act is supposed to be bigger than anything that came before it. Not something that is rushed through with special effects. Like really the tension is mounting. You've built, you've built, you've built. And now, and as with so many things, what's going to come apart? What's going to hold together? How are your characters going to succeed or are they going to succeed? Top Gun 2 masters this. It is beautifully shot. It is beautifully paced. It is just rapid fire. It is fun. It it knows when you want to have great character moments and gives those character moments to you. But it is an absolute blast as a lifelong, you know, Top Gun fan who saw it when he was 18. When I when I when I left the theater, Joseph Kaczynski was standing out in the lobby. I went up to my, to him. I, I introduced him. I introduced myself to him. Um, I, I know that at, some, at one point Josh Brolin was in talks to play a role, a significant role in the movie because Josh and I were having lunch one of the days that he had to decide not to do it. And so I was telling Joseph Kaczynski, I mean, like, basically he would have almost had his entire, you know, uh, Only the Brave cast from the Firefighter movie in Top Gun 2, and it all works. They're great. Miles Teller and Jennifer Connelly are two of the standouts in this movie alongside Tom Cruise and John Hamm and all the others. But, uh... Wow, I, I just told Joseph, Joseph Kaczynski how much I absolutely adore Tron, Oblivion, Only the Brave, all of the movies that he has done. And Top Gun 2 is the absolute most accomplished. I, I don't know how he took that, you know, that that burden on. There is so much to handle, so much machinery, hardware. Um, I mean, it, it is a big, big success delivered on the biggest possible canvas. And he was such a sweet guy, such a nice guy, so excited that everyone, because I am telling you, it wasn't just me. After the movie, everyone blew up Twitter with their responses. They wanted, Paramount said, let people know what you think of it. They're, they're so proud. They are so confident. They know exactly how big this movie is that they did. They had no problem showing the 3,000 people who could potentially tell the entire world about it today. And they encouraged you to. Now, I'm choosing not to spoil certain aspects of it. I won't. But I am telling you, you are, it is in a good old school, old style, giant blockbuster. The kind that, don't take this in the wrong way, existed before superhero films. Big, giant movies that we used to just, you know, raise our fists, cheer. People were cheering in this movie. It was fantastic. It is so much fun. Now, the other fan franchise, obviously, that Tom has become so involved and so recognized with is the Mission Impossible franchise. And so much of that has stayed under wraps. They showed us an extended trailer and gave us the title. And uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, part one. And Rebecca Ferguson is back. And, uh, 
you know, Tom as Ethan Hunt. And, uh, and, and uh, you see all of the different um, new elements and new faces. Uh, uh, Haley Atwell, of course, Agent Carter is, is in the movie. It is, it is thrilling. It, it, it opens with Tom on horseback like across the Sahara Desert. It looks like David Lean, Lawrence of Arabia. He is booking a, a, a horse across the, like the Sahara and kicking up dust. And then you see he's being chased by hundreds of dudes on horses dressed like the Arabian Nights, like imagery with, and, and you're like, whoa, what is going on here? And there's all the different locales that you've come to know and, and, and enjoy. Tom even introduced the clip on top of one of those like Red Baron biplanes and he's standing on the plane and says, Hey, I couldn't be at CinemaCon. I'm shooting, but I wanted to, you know, tell you. And then the director flies up in his plane alongside of him and they are above the Serengeti. They are in Africa. And he says, Tom, we got to go. We're losing light and we're losing time and we don't have much to burn of either. And then Tom goes, all right, well, everyone enjoy Top Gun and enjoy this Mission Impossible trailer. So it was amazing. It was crazy. And then they both go into a dive, both planes Christopher McQuarrie and his yellow plane, Red Baron plane, and, and Tom and his red Red Baron plane both go into a deep dive. They go dive, and it's incredible. And then, boom, we got the Mission Impossible trailer. We saw all the different players. There's a lot of karate, a lot of fisticuffs. There's Rebecca Ferguson. Um, uh, I think it's Isai Morales is the bad guy. And Rebecca Ferguson pulls out a sword, and they're, like, on a bridge over, like, a, a, a river. And, and, and I mean... It, it's phenomenal. And of course, it's got Tom Cruise kicking ass, jumping out. He makes a spectacular jump off of a motorcycle that he drops, that he jumps over a cliff and then launches himself from the motorcycle over the cliff with a parachute. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. We are about to enter, uh, uh, between Dead Reckoning 1 and 2, some of the most amazing, with Top Gun 2 coming out in, a, in six weeks, and then Mission Impossible in 2023, and then the next one, a Tom Cruise era of super adventure. And I'm just going to tell you, flat out, there is no performer in in my lifetime. Because when I was growing up, the movie stars were Paul Newman and Robert Redford, and they are some of my favorite movie stars of all time. I love everything they've ever done. The Sting, um, 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 you know, Jeremiah Johnson, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is, is my favorite movie of all time. Um, you know, all the Paul, Paul Newman uh, uh, uh catalog of films and all the Robert Redford catalog of films. And I feel like Tom Cruise is right up there alongside them for the last 40 years, 36, 40 years, just entertaining us, always looking for a new opportunity to just rock our world with his brand of stunts, performing, daring do. I mean, the word daring do, you know, applies to Tom Cruise, who looks fearless. Mission Impossible, they're in a boat again. Benji's there driving the boat. Rebecca Ferguson, Tom Cruise, the, the crew. There's some old familiar faces. I don't want to blow it. Um, but man, it is. I think we are entering. I mean, Tom Cruise reminded me his face. I mean, he holds it whether he's leaning over at the bar and talking to the bartender or he's instructing the class or he's in a jet or he's running through the forest. This guy can hold your attention like few ever can or ever will. He is one of the if not maybe possibly, literally, in the conversation for the greatest movie star of all space and time. Top Gun 2 has me so jacked. And here's the deal. Whatever you do, I know you're going to like it. There's nothing I can do to make you not like this movie. You're going to like it. I can high, I can raise the bar and, and, and you have no idea how much it's going to clear it. I can't imagine anyone with a pulse not going to see this movie multiple times. Multiple times. John Hamm 
and Tom Cruise have a great tension. It really drives so much of the movie, especially as the movie moves forward, moves further into the second act, the third act. It is fantastic. You are going to have the best time, and it's expensive. It's big. You get far better aerial battles in this than Top Gun. They spared no expense to, to quote Mr. Jurassic Park. I spared no expense. Okay, no expense was spared. Top Gun 2 looks phenomenal. It moves amazing. You're going to love it. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. I, I was blown away. I wish I could rewatch the trailer right now. I'm sure they're going to put that in front of Mission Impossible. I mean, in front of Top Gun 2. I'm absolutely positively certain of it. That will be amazing. But anyway, there there is, uh, again, I just had to share this with you I mean, because Top Gun is really a pop culture phenomenon. And, uh, and the fact that they have made a sequel that let, let, let's figure this out, right? 86, 96, 2006, 2016, right? So there's 30, 34. So 36 years later, 36 years, never intended for, I think, 36 years later. I think it was probably intended for 33, 34. But because of the pandemic, I mean, you guys, this movie is phenomenal. And Top Gun is a pop culture sensation. And you are going to love it. And it was just exciting because I think, again, theaters, they need our support. And, and when they get quality like this, and, and you know, again, like I said, Paramount knows we have a big screen phenomenon that demands to be enjoyed with, with a, with a community. It's a communal thing. And again, with, with, with Thor, Love and Thunder, maybe, you know, Multiverse of Madness will, will knock it out of the park. Like we're all hoping and it'll be a great experience. And, uh, and, and I just, I was so juiced. I did not expect this to clear the bar as highly as it did exceed all my expectations, but it did. And I'm excited that I shared it with you today and I can't wait to see it again. Uh, I, I think I'm going to the premiere and then I'm going to see it again and again and again. It's it, it, for me, Top Gun 2. It's a movie I know for certain I will see multiple times uh, heading into this summer. And then, I mean, come on, once I get it on DVD, forget it. Just forget it. I'm going to watch that thing. <laughs> more times than, than maybe the 10 commandments, which is a movie that I have seen a whole lot more than you will ever possibly know. So anyway, that's it. That's my top, my top gun, uh, to Maverick blessing for the day. And I hope, you know, if it gets you hyped, it got you hyped. That's what I'm, that's what I absolutely am intending to do here. So I, I hope, hope it connects with you guys and, and you're excited about it. So in case you're wondering, have you, have you ever wondered like when did Comic-Con, when did San Diego Comic-Con, when did it go, when did it go Hollywood? And when did it first make that big connection with the Hollywood um, scene? You know, it, it, it certainly happened well before Kevin Feige and the Avengers crew showed up, you know, in, in 2007 to tout their, uh, their, their, their big Marvel financing and announced they're going to be bringing you Iron Man, possibly Ant-Man back at the time. We covered this in the, in the uh, dedicated podcast earlier, uh, I think it was late, late, late last year, Marvel put out their own kind of coffee table book, the the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the history of the MCU. And, and I did an entire thing. Uh, it's an amazing book. I mean, again, I will continue to promote it. It has so many juicy tidbits and very, you know, uh, uh, interesting details. But And it talks about when they were heading down to Comic-Con and they were having their, you know, um, um, th- 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 they were going to break the news of their, their new financing deal that they were going to finance the Iron Man movies and, and, and cap and all these others. And, and it, they weren't even in hall H. Okay. So, so when did it happen? Do you know? Cause I know what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you when it happened. I remember very distinctly. Let me tell you in 2000, the two year, 2000, 98, 99, 2000, 
Comic-Con was getting leaner and leaner. It, it had peaked around 92, 93, 94, 95, but you had publishers going out of business. Do you know that Marvel, it, for all its you know hoopla, it did not even have booths there for two consecutive years in the early 2000s, and one time, one of the video game partners they were with, I don't want to get the video game partner wrong, but they gave them a side wall so that Marvel could feature their talent and have their posters up. But again, this is all part of Marvel coming out of the bankruptcy. So that doesn't paint a healthy picture. Publishers were struggling. Sales were down. The number one comic one month in 2000 was below 100,000 units. So the number one comic book was only selling 99,000 units. In, in 10 years, in a decade's time, we had gone from selling a, a million to 10% of that, okay? So it was a really weird time for comics. But, you know, comics, it's tough. We're tough. We roll up our, 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 you know, our sleeves and we get to work. And we grind because we were never supposed to be a flashy business. And so, you know, Comic-Con kept going every year. But I'm going to tell you right now, 2000, 2000 2001, and 2002 were the lightest uh, just displays at, 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 at the show. I, I'd say the least amount of kind of um, publishers were backing out. So there were big spaces were on the floor. They were empty. They were more open. Um, the, it was just... Uh, kind of a figuring it out period for the business. Hall H certainly was nowhere near being a thing. So I remember, so I had had Hollywood agents for 10 years by that time, 11 years, big representatives. Uh, you know, I, I, they had put me together with Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise and Will Smith. And I had had all this great fun. No, no, no actual film properties were made as is, you know, very, 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 uh, uh obvious and should be published and, and uh, I'm sorry and should uh, the uh, what I was going to say um, should have been completely you know obvious because there is no Tom Cruise or Steven Spielberg you know Rob Liefeld creation movie but the bottom line is the agents I'm speaking specifically the agents in the agency they would go and they would shop and they would maybe go to San Diego once a year and go oh yeah we went to Comic Con that was fun they saw it as a novelty they saw it as like oh look at all the funny comic book people look at all the Look at all the funny Comic Con. You know, when they want to master something during that time, during that '90s time, uh, the 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 between '92 '93, whenever the Indiana Jones ride opened in Anaheim, Disneyland, not not Disney World. I don't know if they already had it before, but my agent said, "Hey, we're coming down to, you know, Disneyland to go on the new Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark ride. Do you want to meet us there? We'll get you in." So again, these guys from CAA, Creative Artist Agency, they were in their you know, double-breasted suits and their ties. And I met them there and they, you know, walked me through the park. And I mean, we went through a back door, like a sneaky sideway and it came out to like where you get on the ride and we're just cut, cut the line, cut everybody. And they were the big Hollywood reps and they repped Lucasfilm and we got on that ride and we went twice through it. And what I'm saying is when they want to, when agents want to take an interest in something, and assert their power and assert their mastery of something and their knowledge. And then, of course, we went to the special club at Disney with the special fine dining. And, you know, the next thing it's 4 o'clock, I'm going home. And I've had a Disneyland experience like none I've ever had because these Hollywood agents wield a certain amount of power and influence. Well, they they had not yet wielded that on Comic-Con. And you should, like, this is where it all turns. So you want an answer from me? I'll tell you. 2003 is where it turned because I saw my agents. 
They told me in advance, and I saw my manager who told me in advance. They said, look, we uh, are going to be down at Comic-Con uh, with some of our stars. It, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're doing these presentations. And one of them was Angelina Jolie. She was there in 2003. You can look those pictures up to promote Tomb Raider 2. And it was like, oh my gosh, you guys hear? Angelina Jolie, Angelina Jolie is coming to Comic-Con. Okay, Tomb Raider had come out, what, 2000? Uh, that summer, when it, 2003, she's there to promote Tomb Raider 2. It's the first real synergistic kind of opportunity. Got a movie coming out, got the, you know, the movie stars here. They want to build on what they had with Tomb Raider. And it, she wasn't alone. It was a twofer. It was uh, Angelina Jolie and Arnold Schwarzenegger. But I want to I cover the, the Angelina Jolie aspect of it with someone who wrote about this in 2008. I'm going to read you an article from 2008 reflecting on the events of 2003. It's called Reflecting on the Con Experience. It's by Tom McLean. Uh, it's KPBS, okay? It's got this great picture of Angelina, very beautiful, sitting there at Comic-Con with the microphones in what was kind of Hall H before Hall H. It says, Angelina Jolie impressed fans when she came to Comic-Con to promote Tomb Raider in 2003. Comic-Con hasn't always been the hot spot for celebrities, but for me, the reasons for the show's huge success can be found in the small moments like this one five years ago. Again, this is written in 2008. Five years, Angelina Jolie visited Comic-Con to hype her Tomb Raider movie, the appearance of such a well-known actress prompted rumors spreading like wildfire. And I'm telling you guys, it was true. It was out on the curb. It was in the streets. It was in the restaurants. That morning, the buzz, Angelina Jolie's coming to Comic-Con. And remember, this is Angelina Jolie. You know, she was really on the rise. She'd been Oscar nominated. Tomb Raider was a big hit. Um, her, she, she was definitely a, a big time, you know, uh, uh, movie star on the rise. The appearance of such a well-known actress prompted rumors spreading like wildfire. At one point, everyone seemed sure that she was going to appear in character and be lowered from a helicopter into the sales section of the convention center. That was obviously a ridiculous pipe dream, but not to a group of dedicated fans who lined up early that morning for a chance to get Angelina Jolie's autograph. And, you know, it's just, uh, it, 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 it is the memories that this guy has of, uh, you know, th th this time where, as he said, there were no, you know, there were no celebrities that were, you know, appearing at Comic-Con. But I'm looking at picture after picture after picture from 2003, you know, Getty Images. I'm, I'm, I'm checking it out. You can, you can see, you know, She's there uh, promoting her Tomb Raider. And, and again, like I said, she was not alone. She was not alone. One of the biggest, and you go, how was he never at Comic-Con before? One of the biggest ever stars was also there that Saturday. And again, my agents and manager, I'm like, wait, wait, wait what are you guys doing here? On a Saturday afternoon, like, like, when I said earlier that they would come down for novelty reasons and do shopping and go, oh, this is cute. I bought some stuff, something at Comic-Con. This is fun. I'm so glad I came down to Comic-Con. See you later, Rob. Uh, they would come on Thursdays or Fridays. They would never give up their weekends. So now they're there on Saturdays. This is Saturday, okay? 
And so you had Angelina Jolie doing her big time Tomb Raider 2 presence, 2003. And again, it's like, what's happened? A movie star is here. And uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger himself was there to promote, you know, his upcoming Terminator Rise of the Machines. And which was opening, I think, in the maybe the, the week after. But he was there to show up and promote this big old, you know, sequel to his most, you know, devoted franchise, his most his most popular franchise. And it's like, wait, what's going on here? Angelina Jolie and and Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, you know, and, and and so you sit there and you're like, this is when it all changed. Cause you guys, it was never looking back from that 2003 on, uh, it, it was, it was a hundred percent movie star after movie star, movie star after movie star. And they were coming and they were promoting and it was and, and and the people were were they were juiced. They were super, super juiced. There it is. I'm looking at that picture. Yep, there he is. You know, Arnold appearing at Comic Con. So you had Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you had and, and again, this is for Terminator 3. He's, you know, flying through and 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 promoting his upcoming movie and 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 now they're directly speaking to fans in the way that we speak in a way they hadn't speak spoken before the way we speak on social media in a way that they had never spoken before because really you guys for the most part you never saw movie stars didn't do comic conventions that was goofy and you're like how is that possible i go now and i see you know johnny lawrence from cobra kai and i see you know i see paul rudd from ant-man and i see mark ruffalo yes it's become a giant business and that fan interaction is now extremely lucrative but this is 20 years ago. I mean, this is literally 19 years ago this summer. Angelina Jolie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, huge female action movie star, huge king of movie stars. You know, they both arrive on the stage and it was all the buzz. And my agents are like, oh yeah, I'm here for Arnold. Oh yeah, I'm here for Angie. And you're like, what's going on here? I, I don't understand how this is happening. But again, it was to get that hype it was to get that hype going and um you know the the uh the the movies sometimes they open on those weekends captain america first avenger opened the weekend cap you know comic-con was 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 playing so so sometimes you get a giant superhero movie that is opening at the same time the giant superhero convention Comic convention, the, and at the time, easily the biggest in the world. When Angelina Jolie and Schwarzenegger came there, the New York Comic Con had not even happened yet. That didn't come back till 2005, 2006, when they reignited that giant experience that grew and grew and grew to be the New York Comic Con that we now, you know, love and and is and competes, you know, with with San Diego in terms of absolute attendance numbers. So, this is just a, a time before all that. Comic-Con was number one. San Diego, like, it used to be Wizard World Chicago 
or prior to that Chicago Comic-Con in San Diego, which were the biggest each summer. And they were the biggest by far of anything. There was no Emerald City. There was no C2E2. There was no New York Comic-Con. So if you want to know the summer that broke it wide open and then it never looked back, 2004, 2005, again, in, in the Marvel book, it's talking about how they planned for their 2007, you know, panel to share with everybody the excitement of what's coming from the MCU. You know, but you literally in, in the, you know, Hugh Jackman going and promoting X-Men, let's say in 2000, isn't the same because Hugh Jackman became a movie star on the back of the X-Men movies. Again, Angelina Jolie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, two A-list, everyone's sending them scripts, wanting to book them in their movies in 2003. They are there at Comic-Con and the buzz was palatable. And again, like I said, I just remember my, my, my agent and manager out in front of Comic-Con, like on the steps, on their phones, and they're like, hey, yeah, we're here for Arnold, and we're here for Angie. How you doing, Rob? Yeah, it's really exciting. We're so happy to be here at the con. We're so happy to be here at Comic-Con. And I remember driving home going, is this the beginning of something new? Is this, be- like, this is different. I had been going to Comic-Con as a kid. If you've listened to the show, I've told you I rode down with my dad on the train in 1982 to experience my very first Comic-Con, and I've gone to every, every one since. And, and, and this movie star's, you know, did not come in the big fashion. They did not come. These two giant A-list talents had not been. So So you're talking 11 years into my own experience, which is much further into the conventions experience. Boom, Hollywood comes in knocking and they never look back. And now you get these absolute mind-blowing presentations. So again, when I talk about a Tom Cruise going to Comic-Con and when I talk about what CinemaCon has turned into and these convention experiences and the platforms that they provide, 2003 is when Comic-Con changed and it never looked back. From that point on, the show got healthier. The excitement was there. Studios saw what happened with Angelina Jolie and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they started putting the word out. And so the studios started contacting Comic-Con and said, hey, we would like to give a presentation. Hey, we would like to give a presentation. And then what developed into, you know, the Saturday slate, Warner Brothers in the morning, Marvel at 5 o'clock, closing out the show. In the middle, you got Universal. Maybe on Friday somebody squeezes in, maybe on Sunday. Sunday, if in case you have never been, to Comic-Con, and there's plenty who haven't, Sunday was always the domain of uh, the TV. You know, you'd get more of the CW shows, you'd get Arrow, you'd get Riverside, uh, Riverdale, um, but but Saturday was the domain of the big giant, and it has been for the last decade. And where did it all start? It started in 2003. Angelina Jolie, Arnold Schwarzenegger broke the mold, broke Comic-Con into something bigger than it had ever been before and there was no looking back and now this is the world kind of honestly that they built you guys if if they don't do what they do then then it's not what it is now somebody has to go first and they most certainly absolutely went first like i said i'm literally just looking at their photos from that event and so you know um honestly just really really fun just walking all this back with all you guys and so so again today was a whole um uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the focus was absolutely, um, positively focused on kind of theaters, movies, some fun movies coming our way. And, and really when did Comic-Con break through it? I, I figured I could do that in like a li- nice little segment. Like I just did. It, it, it wasn't deserving of an entire episode. So boom, three segments today. Okay. Award shows, Top Gun 2, Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise, and... When did Comic-Con really break through 
and become the Comic-Con that we know today. So here at the end of each show is where we read your reviews. You guys are so great. You read your, you, you, you leave reviews on the different platforms, Apple, Spotify, all the different ones. Um, we get a lot of them on Apple. I, I read a lot of them on Apple. Sometimes I read them from Facebook, from Instagram, but you guys are so generous and it helps. It really helps. Um, you guys, um, give really great rankings, five stars. You are so generous. And I am so excited to read them at the end of every show. And, and I appreciate all of the joy and the love that you're putting out there for this show. And thank you. Um, just thank you for spreading the word. This today comes from Michael 7904. Michael 7904. He His title is Totally Enjoy. Multiple three exclamation points. Totally Enjoy. Multiple exclamation points. He gave us five freaking stars. Thank you, Michael 7904. He says, Rob, I recently found... This podcast, and aside from wishing I came across it earlier, I totally enjoy it. I find myself listening to four or five episodes a week as I get caught up, and I enjoy hearing about stuff that I read in the 90s and all of the stories involved. It has been so much fun and educational, and I look forward to the new episodes each and every week. Keep up the great work. Thank you so very, very much. I appreciate it so very much. Um, Michael, again, when you guys do this, I know that it's a special effort and it really helps. It helps set us apart. We are doing great in terms of kind of, um, word of mouth and, and these reviews help us so much. I, I really just want to say thank you. And I enjoy so much interacting with so many of you guys as I do, which you can find me on social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. Okay. I have a blue check next to my name just so that you can find me amongst all the imposters of which there are some, but I love talking to you guys. I love your messages, the back and forth, the discussions that we have. There's so much fun. Um, I am always, you know, loving to talk and chat with you guys as I do really every day on the daily. So find me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, the full name on Instagram. I'm at Rob Liefeld, shorter, just Rob Liefeld. I was able to get that. That also has a blue check that tells you it's really me, not an imposter. I love reading your comments, your DMS, your messages. Thank you so much for interacting with me on any of these platforms. I am so thankful. This page has a dedicated fan page on Facebook. Rob observations with Rob Liefeld is a page on Facebook. Look it up, give it a like, leave a comment. I will comment back. I will like it back. Um, give me some time. I love to tra track them all down and read what you guys are saying, but we are just trying to expand. Um, I continue to just attack this world from every possible angle publishing, you know, um, um, the, the, the film, the, the film aspect of it, the publishing, the printing, uh, the collecting, the, 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 incredible valuable way that the artist is just skyrocketing we try and cover it all here guys we try and share it with all of you and i absolutely uh just just am thrilled that we can come to you guys and reach you in the way that we can thank you so very much for supporting this show this is the time of the show when i wish for you the very best health the very best emotional the very best mental and the very best physical uh uh, uh just just chemistry that you can possibly muster if you got to chill, chill, relax, watch a good movie, a good show. There's so much of it. Read a good comic, read a good book, eat some fun food. Okay. Just treat yourself, treat yourself to, to, to something where you can just escape, escape the, 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 the craziness of everyday life. Maybe it's this, this podcast. And, and I thank you so much if that's the case. And so much, so many of you guys, you know, we have to reach out and do stuff that we fund, you know, for me, it may be going out one afternoon and buying some action figures or eating an entire bag of Doritos at the airport at the at the airport before I board the flight. You know, just chill. Just spend some time with good people, your friends, your family. I am rooting for you. I am wishing you all the very best. You guys, make sure that you circle back and find me 
because I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here and we are going to talk again real soon. 